Hey everyone, welcome back to Leadership Locker. It's your host, Rich Cardona, and look, you're in the right place. Yes, you are. You're in the right place if you're an aspiring entrepreneur, if you're new to entrepreneurship, if you're seasoned, if you're just in the middle of it and are just like, what am I doing? Uh, the purpose of the Leadership Locker is to get you small business owners and veteran entrepreneurs the knowledge you need, okay? Part of that's going to be from me on Mondays and Fridays, kind of documenting the journey and sharing things I've learned along the way in my early years. And I have so far to go, so it's it's going to be timeless. But I also have in industry experts and influencers, like my guest today, Christy Dosh, who's a corporate attorney turned national sports business analyst. She's also a personal branding consultant, writer, speaker, I mean, you name it. Um, but she is a contribute, regular contributor to Forbes. She's worked with ESPN, ESPN the Magazine, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what she has been at the forefront of is what's called a ruling that happened on um, July 1st, which is NIL, which is name, image, and likeness. Okay, this is specifically for collegiate athletes who are now able to monetize on essentially their personal brand. College sports will never be the same. Now, many of you listeners may have known about this already, but it's time to dig in a little bit and determine, okay, like how does this benefit the athlete? Because sometimes it's not as sexy as it seems. How does it benefit a business? Does it mean anything for the school? How do you get a deal? Do you need a social media following? What are college athletes looking to focus on now that this is available to them? So we do that, but look, here's the funny thing. Christy is exactly what I wanted to be. I wanted to, before I realized I was not going to be effective in any way, shape or form, you know, as a college student and I knew I needed to join the Marine Corps, I wanted to be a lawyer. And if, it, if I didn't want to be a lawyer, I wanted to be a broadcast journalist, like a Bob Costas, so to speak. And that's what I wanted. Uh, but I was too busy fucking off, <laughs> essentially. So it, it did not come to fruition. Later, during my Marine Corps career, I tried to apply for a law program. And it turns out I had too much time combined, time as an enlisted Marine and as a commissioned officer to apply for this program. It was just it's, it's, it's a really kind of niche program, which obviously meant really strange restrictions as well. So I didn't get to do this. And I was like really big into supporting Florida State at the time and all these other things. And, and here I am talking to a corporate attorney, business analyst and an expert on the business sports. And look, you're going to hear, but she wrote her way out of being a lawyer. She wasn't doing sports law or entertainment law or anything like that. Uh, you'll hear what kind of law she was doing, but she wrote her way out of it. And I don't think she was seeking to do it. It just kind of happened. She tapped into her creativity, which is one of the messages I always want to make sure I put out there. Whatever special skills that you have that you think only you need to know about and that are just specific to you and that no one would give a shit about are actually things that can open up different doors to your life, to your career, to your pizzazz for living life to the fullest. She wrote her way out through a blog and then she left law and now here she is advising athletic departments across the country, showing up regularly on TV and on radio as a contributor and writing and just staying on top of it. She is at the forefront of this NIL ruling amongst other things. So look, it's amazing to talk to someone, although she did go to the University of Florida. I mean, I went to Florida State I'm really, really happy we got along, but it's fascinating to talk to someone who kind of went for a job that seemed 
like it would be the kind of job that you do the rest of your life. She made a huge pivot. Now she's doing exactly what she wants to do. And there's not a single pause in her voice to any of the questions I asked. She doesn't have to think. You don't have to think deeply when you're an expert because you are immersed in it. So not only is she a good example of how we can learn about uh, supporting collegiate athletes or how collegiate athletes get supported by businesses, but she's also a fantastic example of what we talk about on the Leadership Locker a lot, which is those transitions. How Act 2 is, in fact, about you. So let's get to the show. Here's Christy. All right, everyone, thanks for joining. Uh, you heard the intro. I'm really, really excited to have my guest. And Christy, thanks for joining. She went to UF for law school, and I went to Florida State, and that didn't ruffle any feathers in the beginning. But Christy, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. You know, it's funny, I grew up in Atlanta, so I consider University of Georgia a much bigger rival than Florida State. So we'll get along just fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. I'm reading uh, Unscripted right now by Ernie Johnson. I'm trying to interview him. I think he's in Atlanta. But, um, Christy, I wanted to talk about something. I, I feel like it's been a month, but it hasn't even been two weeks since uh, college sports have changed forever as of July 1st. Uh, I was hoping you could kind of just give a, a breakdown for the audience on what took place, and then we'll dig in a little bit more after that. Yeah, it's been a long two weeks. Um, so the interesting thing about what happened is that this all started with state legislation. California was the first state to pass its own name, image, and likeness legislation. And that sort of started the you know snowball rolling down the hill. Then you started to have other states pass it or at least propose legislation. Um, and that forced the NCAA to start talking about what their legislation might look like. And so Myself and other media members and folks in college athletics who followed this for the last year and a half all expected that there would be NCAA legislation by the time this came to fruition. California had given the NCAA a really long time to do it. Their start date wasn't until 2023. Uh, however, Florida came in. I live down in Florida and uh, Florida came in last year and said, no, we're going to make the start date July 1st, 2021, and basically put the NCAA on the clock. They've got one year to figure this out, which for an organization that big that moves that slow was a really short time period. However, we all expected they were going to pass legislation back in January. It was on their agenda. I knew people who were on that committee who had no indication that anything was going to go wrong, except that it did because the Department of Justice sent the NCAA a letter basically saying that they had some concerns about it. And so the NCAA put it on hold and we were about 18 hours out from uh, the July 1st start date going into effect when the NCAA finally gave us something. They had a Supreme Court ruling handed down to them the previous week, and it was very bad for the NCAA. It was unanimous against them, in fact, which is rare for the Supreme Court if you follow Supreme Court cases at all. So the NCAA basically gave three or four really broad guidelines and said, you know what, if you live in a state that has a state law, follow the state law. If you live in a state that doesn't have one, then as institutions, each university can pass its own rules. 
Well, that gave schools, by the time that came out, schools had less than 24 hours to come up with rules. Uh, there are still schools now, you know, half a month in that don't have policies yet because they needed to confer with attorneys and they wanted to see what other schools were doing. And you've got all these state start dates that are at different times. So some people have a state law, but it hasn't gone into effect yet. And so what's ended up happening is you've got these really broad NCAA rules. You have some state laws that have already started. And then you have this like mishmash of institutional rules. And so I think it's most complicated for brands that want to work with student athletes because they've got a checklist like, you know, it feels like 10 different places to figure out what they're allowed to do or not do. <laughs> I feel like it's 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 like if you see someone really attractive at a bar and you're like, I'm just going to shoot my shot and you go up to them and they say, yeah. And then you're like, yeah, I'll talk to you. Or yeah, like, here's my number. Like, you don't know what to do. So everyone was kind of paralyzed by the small turnaround window they had. Now, name, image, and likeness. What does that actually mean? So, so what exactly took place? And then more importantly, what does that mean for the business of college, which is obviously what you're an expert in? And then obviously, what does it mean for athletes? So student athletes previously couldn't profit off their name, image, or likeness. So the really practical applications of that were they couldn't charge to autograph something. They couldn't sell their game-used gear, and we've seen guys get in trouble for that in the past. They couldn't get paid to do a social media post, even if it had nothing to do with sports. Um, they essentially couldn't make money doing anything other than like a qualified internship or job. Uh, they couldn't use any skills for podcasting, blogging. It, you know, They couldn't do any of that to make money. The NCAA made waivers available if you were doing something that truly wasn't connected to your profile as a student athlete. So there are student athletes over the years who've published books, put out music albums, even started businesses, but they weren't allowed to reference that they were a student athlete at all. And so, it, you know, they had to leave these kind of separate lives if they were going to do that kind of stuff. And the waiver process, I think, could be difficult to navigate and take a little while. So for the most part, most student athletes just haven't done anything with it until now. And now all those possibilities are open to them. They can get paid for appearances and autographs. They can take free meals and free swag and, you know, all these things they haven't been allowed to do. Uh, and they, they dove right into it. People were announcing deals, you know, like one minute into July 1st. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was unbelievable. So, so what does this mean for college businesses? Like for the NCAA, they look like the, the Goliath, right? Defeated almost kind of by the David and a lot of professional athletes, uh, from listening to you when I heard you on and a lot of other people, uh, are obviously very supportive and some obviously wish it could be retroactive. But for the most part, a lot of them are just like, finally, you know, they're happy that student athletes are now going to be able to monetize on their image and likeness. But what does this mean for the NCAA? Does this take money out of their pocket? And this is just me asking out of pure, not, you know, ignorance. Like, is this bad for football, that institution as a whole or not football, but college athletics? Or is it a good thing? Depends on who you ask. Um, you know, my opinion on it is it doesn't have any real effect, in my opinion, at the NCAA level. However, it could have an effect at the individual institution level. And we've already seen some comments around that. You know, schools were fearing that if a local brand decided to work directly with student athletes, that maybe they would pull funding they already had with the athletic department. So if they're paying to have a banner up in the basketball arena, but now they decide they're going to use marketing money to work directly with a student athlete, will they still pay for that banner in the basketball arena? And there was a lot of fear around college athletics that that might happen. And you know, we hear about how much money March Madness makes or the college football playoff makes. But when you get outside of the Power Five institutions and those five like top football conferences, uh, schools at other levels 
are not operating with this huge like surplus of cash. You know, losing a sign sponsor in the basketball arena could be a really big deal to them and their ability to sponsor sports because generally speaking, only football and men's basketball make money. It is incredibly rare for any other sport to, uh, you know, be in the black. Every other sport loses money in order to pay for scholarships for student athletes and coaching and medical care and, you know, busing them and flying them to their events and all that kind of stuff. And so that was a real concern. And we've already seen at University of Miami where a booster who owns MMA gyms decided to offer a deal to every scholarship football player. There's 90 this year because roster limits are a little higher. Some guys got uh, took an extra year because of the pandemic. So Someone asked him in the media, because you're doing this, does this mean you're no longer going to spend money with the athletic department? And he basically said, maybe not. It's kind of a wait and see thing. He's going to test this out and see how it goes. And so that concern that some people sort of criticized institutions for, I think is a real concern, especially when you get outside of the power five to those athletic departments that are really depending on some of that sponsorship money. Now, staying with the topic of being outside the power of five, if I'm here in Wilmington, North Carolina, and UNCW, businesses that support whichever program, any sports program, and and it doesn't need to be basketball or any, it could be soccer, it could be fencing, who knows what. What kind of opportunities does this afford small businesses? and, And how does that appeal potentially to the college athlete? There's all these studies that show how effective social media marketing is when you work with influencers. I use that lightly. You know, these student athletes don't have to have 100,000 followers. We've seen student athletes getting deals who have 3,000, 5,000 followers. You know, it's all about having the right followers, uh, you know, having that niche that a brand is looking for. In fact, I heard a story last week that that was really good. A compliance officer told me that they had two deals come in from an outside company. And Icon source, open doors, influencer. These are all companies that have sort of partnered with schools or offer marketplaces for student athletes. And this compliance officer got two deals in. One was for a student athlete who had, I think, around 8,000 followers. And the other was a student athlete who had 100,000 followers. And the one with 8,000 followers got a much bigger deal money-wise than the one with 100,000 followers. So the compliance guy flagged it because he doesn't know that much about influencer marketing and he just knew it looked fishy. So he contacted the company and he said, what's the deal? Like, why is this happening? And they said, because this company came to us and they said they wanted a student athlete who was an avid hunter and like had photos of himself hunting on his Instagram and they used algorithms and AI software they had to identify this student athlete with 8,000 followers who like his entire feed was hunting. And that's what the brand was looking for. And so because he had this niche audience, he was the perfect fit for them. And so that's what I think is so cool. There's opportunities for student athletes for things that have nothing to do with their sport and totally regardless of their following. So here's one thing I've been thinking about and I've been talking, my wife was a collegiate athlete at West Point, and we were in the car listening to some of these things. And I said, does this mean if you are a formidable athlete and have a good social media following, that if you are not performing to your fullest potential, that you're going to sit a little bit more okay with that? Because now you've actually monetized on something that could be longstanding and you've built business acumen that you might not have otherwise. An interesting thing I've learned, I speak a lot in athletic departments. And over the years, I've talked a lot to student athletes about life after graduation and 
uh, using social media to kind of build a personal brand that allows them to get into the career field they want to get in. Now those conversations are going to look a little different with NIL. But the thing I have heard over and over and over from student athletes is that as they're graduating, they feel less confident than their peers because they haven't necessarily been doing internships or working during the summer in their chosen field. And they look at their classmates who aren't student athletes and they look at the experiences they had. And these student athletes really question their ability to get a job in their chosen field after graduation because they just don't feel like they have those hard skills, great soft skills in terms of leadership and time management and that kind of stuff. But what I think is really cool about NIL is If you want to learn how to do a podcast, if you want to learn how to blog, you want to be a better public speaker, you know, you want to learn hard skills in content creation and personal branding, now you get to. (laughs) So that's what I plan to uh, talk to student athletes about moving forward is how do you use this opportunity to build something that you can take with you beyond graduation, whether that's becoming an entrepreneur when you graduate, or if it's just skills that get you into that job you want to be in. It's a really awesome opportunity. I agree wholeheartedly. And and the part I think about is I, I know some directors of player development at, at some, some professional sports teams. And one thing that seems that has resurfaced in, in some of these interactions is, you know, not everyone is ready to leave their professional sport. Uh, nine times out of 10, you have to leave prematurely. You're, you're injured, you're tired, family, whatever. And all of a sudden, it's like, okay, what am I going to do? And some of those skills have not materialized despite potentially having good managers and anything like that. So to me, the development of a business acumen and especially a personal brand, which obviously you and I live in that space, is tremendous. And, and I think it's really, really exciting. And, and I, I think it's an intangible that would not have existed uh, had this not been passed. So that being said, I want to talk about a couple things in terms of the fact that it's sports. This now kind of changes things in another regard as well. So what if there's a chess team? And I, and I say this because I was just watching the Queen's Gambit, right? And I was just like, oh, wow. You know, like if she was in college, like this opens opportunity for people that are kind of laterally involved in athletics as well. Is that true? And, and what does it mean for the spillover for people who are not necessarily football players, but maybe doing something a little bit less sexy, so to speak? Well, one cool thing we've seen pop up is that a lot of athletic departments are partnering with business schools or entrepreneurship you know, centers on campus. In fact, I just had a call with Arizona State yesterday about how their entrepreneurship center is going to get involved with helping student athletes. But what we've seen is a lot of curriculum pop up and classes that are going to be offered this fall that are offered for the entire student body, but they came about because of this need to help student athletes monetize their NIL. So I think that's a really neat thing I didn't necessarily expect in advance. Hey everyone, while here we are talking about brand deals and sponsorships, you need to know that I'm sponsored and the alignment could not be better. I'm sponsored by rocketstation.com. They are a virtual assistant staffing agency. And I've mentioned her before and we're in the hiring process for another, but my VA or ops lead is what I like to say, Ellie. Ellie does the unthinkable for this business. She is on top of social media. She's on top of our accounting. She's on top of client relationships, all in order to keep my head up and out and to forecast which direction this business needs to go, what's working and what's not, and how we can improve. All the other things, all the other, I don't wanna say distractions, but the requisites of the business that will be a complete and utter time suck for you can be solved by hiring the help that you need 
You could reference my episode with Gary Vee recently in which he talks about how much that not hiring someone is actually going to cost you over the course of a decade. It's important. They're based out of Dallas. They're unbelievably affordable. And I could not recommend them high enough. We are unbelievably aligned by how much we want entrepreneurs to succeed. And you do that by getting the help you need so you can focus on running the business and not being in the business. There are people who are better at it than you, and there are people who are ready to do it for you. So mention me and the Leadership Locker, and you'll get $500 off your process development, which outlines all the processes and systems that you're going to need annotated for the person that you eventually hire. So you can mention me, you'll get $500 off. Go ahead and email brooks at rocketstation.com or go to landing.rocketstation.com. Let's get back to the show. So I want to talk uh, a little bit more about personal branding. That is my entire purpose. Is, is to, and, and I think your LinkedIn headline is, well, ours are kind of similar. Mine is, it's not who you know, it's who knows you. So, so we really are big on making sure that it's not necessarily the connections or your performance or anything like that, but like people need to know what you're doing, why you're doing it, and potentially why you know, you're an expert. Now, that, that being said, when it comes to personal branding, I had this kind of underlying fear that there's going to be pressure on all these people all of a sudden to be like, well, now I have an opportunity. Now I have to get on social. I am at no name state. I'm not going professional. It's not happening. So now I have all this pressure. But can you talk, have you seen any of that? These This kind of like turmoil a little bit? Well, now I have to do something and I wasn't necessarily involved in podcasting, social media or anything before. There definitely is. I have a community of female student athletes that I've been trying to help and they all feel like this opportunity came. I have to take advantage of it. And how do I do that? And they don't necessarily have something they have already built up or that they were super interested in doing. But what I've loved from that is I I had them all fill out a little questionnaire with what they wanted to learn more about. And I thought it would be more about social media only because that's the low hanging fruit. And all these early deals we've seen have largely been based around social media. And so I thought they'd see that and not that I necessarily think that's the path they should go, but that that's where they'd want to be. And overwhelmingly, that is not what they're putting on the form. Overwhelmingly, they are putting blogging, podcasting and public speaking, which I think is awesome because I can talk about those things all day long. And those things have allowed me to go down a totally different path. I was a corporate attorney who was just blogging on the side 100% for fun, just as like a creative writing sort of exercise. Um, Podcasting wasn't a thing back then, but I have a podcast now. Um, But I changed my career through blogging, which is like crazy to think about. I've been blogging for 17 years now. (laughs) I've got book deals. It changed the course of my career. It's opened all these doors for me. And so I'm really excited that they want to learn about these things. But most of them are starting totally flat-footed. They have nothing right now. And so the first conversations I'm having with them are, here's what the time commitments look like. Like I've done all these things. And if you really want to build something that you can monetize, you know, here's the time commitment you're gonna have to put in. And that, that does weed some of them <laughs> out, but I want to be honest about it. I don't want them to think, you know, I'm sure in the entrepreneurship world, you see this too. I get so annoyed with the ads that pop up in my Facebook feed that are like, you know, take this 30 day course and, you know, have a $10,000 a month next month. Like that's not how my entrepreneurial journey started. I don't know about you. It's it's predatory. It's it's awful. Yeah, yeah I see that so all I the time. I want to be honest and tell yes. them like, 
I started a new blog last year. I have one that's 10 years old that makes money, but like I started a new one last year and I've told them exactly how I tried to monetize it and that I've made like a hundred dollars in a year. However, you know, I've been working on my SEO and here's my long-term plan because I want them to understand this isn't something you jump in and start making money next week. Um, and so that has weeded some of them out, but others are super excited to get started. So we'll see. Now there's a parallel here. If you are, you know, part of the veteran entrepreneur audience listening to this, or if you're someone who's making a career pivot or change, uh, what Christy's saying is really important. There is going to be that reluctance to say, well, I don't have expertise. I mean, if you're a college athlete, like, are are you going to talk about leadership per se? Maybe, maybe not. Are you someone on the bench uh, who's going to talk about basketball and teach basketball videos or anything along those lines? So it could be very difficult and it could look like an uphill battle. Now, Christy, what would you say to this audience, this collective audience about, hey, I'm not exactly sure what I should talk about, but I do have an interest in tapping into my creativity And I understand that I may or may not monetize off it at some point, but this is just to get people to invest in themselves and their personal brands. What would you say uh, is a good starting point? You know, I've worked with some beginning kind of entrepreneurs in my PR agency, and I always ask them, you know, what are those things that you find people asking you advice about all the time or things you just find yourself, you know, in the beginning, I found myself like getting the same questions over email all the time from students. And I got to where I had these like, formulated responses, basically, because I found myself saying the same stuff over and over and over and over. Um, And most people, when you start digging in on that, they'll say, Oh, you know, like, my family's always making me to asking me to make these custom book covers for them. Or, you know, people are always asking me about, I don't know, being diabetic, you know, random stuff. But when you really start digging in, people usually have something that, you know, I hate to use the word passion, because I think it gets overused. But People usually have something that they are sort of, I call it an expert on their own experience. There's something you've been through, something you've done. And that's how we coach our PR clients is everybody is an expert on their own experience. So let's dig in and figure it out. How did you get where you are now? What do you like or not like about it? And you know where are you hoping to go? What things do you want out of the future? Do you want a job that allows you to work from home and travel when you want, or is it really important for you to work with children or you know whatever your thing is? And people usually have that stuff if you dig in and ask the right questions. They it's hard to identify it in yourself. Super easy for somebody else to see. In fact, when I was an attorney, I sat at a luncheon one day at the Atlanta Braves Stadium and their 755 Club. And it was a sports and entertainment law thing. Um, I did not practice in sports and entertainment law. I was actually in commercial real estate and did corporate work. And, but I went to the CLEs because they were more interesting on the sports side. And this guy sitting next to me, I'm telling him about my blog. And I think at that point, I maybe had my first book deal. And he was like, why are you still practicing? What is wrong with you? You know, He said, in a year from now, if I meet you and you're not working in sports, I'm going to be really disappointed in you. And I remember thinking this guy was like totally wacko because I was a corporate attorney making really good money. I liked the work I did uh, well enough. And I never considered I was going to change my career and do something else. But he was right. Within a year, I got a job offer from ESPN and I went to be a sports business reporter. And that's not something I ever saw for myself, but he knew it from talking to me. I get it. I mean, you can be someone in college right now and just be like, make videos, endless videos of applying for scholarships. Like something like that is interesting to someone or a parents who are in high school who are going to stay up all night trying to win money for their kids for college, so to speak. So I always kind of look at the beginning of something you learned in an experience. And that's obviously good content material. But I agree with you. It's exactly right. And I'm, it sounds, you know, very 
what's the word, serendipitous that you had that interaction and, and decided to kind of make a leap. Now, in your last podcast, you talked about making deals in the DM. So now we're going to kind of get back to NIL and, and working with brands. This could be equally confusing for both sides of the house because brands are not exactly sure what they can and can't do, so to speak. And then athletes are probably going to be incredibly enticed by someone saying, hey, and I think, and I think the example you used in the podcast was someone who was offered $100 per Instagram post or something along those lines. And that seemed like, wow, awesome. And next thing you know, there's 12 renditions and, and things aren't ironed out. How should deals be made? And how should potential student athletes kind of look around and, and validate whether this is going to be something good or bad for them? I think that's tough because there are going to be all these student athletes who are going to get offers from small businesses and from people through DMs who the deal's not going to be big enough for an agent or an attorney to get involved. Like everybody keeps saying, at least in my kind of world, oh, well, you know, student athletes will be protected because now they're allowed to hire agents and attorneys. We get offered a hundred bucks for one social media post. It would cost more to hire an attorney. Than you can <laughs> yeah. So who's helping those people? And folks yes. are in compliance at universities. First of all, like this is not necessarily their skill set. They don't know anything about this world. In fact, I keep getting asked to come in and speak in athletic departments to try and teach compliance people about this. You know, they're not used to getting DMs, you know, offering them deals with, you know, some fashion brand that wants to send them a bunch of free clothes and a hundred bucks for a post. So not only are they not familiar with it, but a lot of them feel like there is a line they're not allowed to cross in terms of advising student athletes, because the way some of the rules are worded, whether that's state laws or institutional rules, there's this institutional involvement uh, sort of issue where you don't want to lead a student athlete astray and open up the athletic department to liability or look like you're playing favorites with one student athlete over another. And so they're really hesitant to give advice. So like, where are these student athletes going to get advice, which is part of why I have started this community specifically for female student athletes, because I wanted them to have somewhere to ask questions um, and, and get feedback on what is and isn't appropriate. I recommend everybody that is going to get involved in this from the social media perspective to read a book called Influencer by Brittany Hennessy. She worked on the brand side for years, hiring influencers. And she talks in there about um, things like etiquette and like how to work well with a brand. But she also has a really good chapter that talks about deal terms you need to know. And I think it's important for student athletes to understand that a lot of these small businesses that are going to approach them are so small that they don't have an attorney they're consulting either. And they don't necessarily have a contract drawn up. I mean, a lot of what I see influencers outside of student athletes, but like women in their 20-somethings that I'm in some groups with, a lot of what I see is they're getting these offers by DM. And the whole thing just happens as a back and forth in your DMs which is fine by most state laws that back and forth forms a contract, but you have to know the questions to ask or the things to determine. And I don't think most student athletes have any idea what those things are. And the example you mentioned was a woman I saw in a Facebook group I'm in full of influencers who got offered a hundred bucks a post. She thought that was amazing for the number of followers she had. And she was so excited to finally make money, except then the brand came back 12 different times asking for revisions. And so then when she looked at the amount of time she spent, you know, creating the post, doing the sort of photo shoot for what she was going to put in her feed, and then making all these edits and reshooting, then the $100 didn't sound so good anymore, because it was a lot of work. And I don't think most people would know to ask about that. Yeah, I mean, like, well, that this is the thing. So that's where the business acumen 
you know, the the learning comes into play because then it almost it's almost like B2B at that point, right? Where you can be like, here's how many revisions you get. You know, if we're going to do this deal, here's how many revisions. Here's a turnaround time. Here's a deliverable, like period, point blank. It's just so funny to me because I'm kind of seeing in this whole process that the people you would expect with the leverage don't necessarily have it. Uh, you know, it's just, it's just, it's really interesting. Now, I want to kind of role play this with you because let's, I'm a small business. Rich Cardona Media, great. I want to set up a podcast with the number one athlete in the Southern North Carolina area. Okay. And I see Christy, who's a star volleyball player at wherever university. And I approach you. How should businesses go about talking to student athletes? And, and actually, what is the benefit? And I'm not talking, you know, you're supporting them as an alma mater, you know, or as an alum. I just see something in you. I support you. What should I be doing as a business? And how should I approach uh, the people I want to support? So I think you got to check and see if there's a state law in effect, because some of them have some quirkier things than others do. And then I think you have to see if the institution already has an NIL policy in place, which many of them do at this point. Um, and make sure that you understand the parameters they're allowed to work in. Now, most of the time, it's probably going to be okay. There are some forbidden categories uh, of in many of these policies for things like tobacco, alcohol, uh, We've seen some CBD, but they don't all have it. Um, the state of Pennsylvania has something about uh, pharmaceuticals, but no other state has that. So it differs from place to place. But I would check the state law, the institutional rules. And then I think you've got to have an idea of you know w- what you're asking. You know, how long is the podcast going to be? How are you going to use it or reuse it? Like, Are you going to be allowed to take this after we film it and cut it up into little pieces and use it for your own promo, which, you know, like I would think would be totally fine, but you got to think through all those things because the questions I'm telling student athletes to ask is, you know, how much is it? Um, If it's something I've got to put in my feed, how long does it have to stay up? You know, are we talking a feed post, a story? You know, do you get to see my post before I put it up? And if so, how many rounds of edits are allowed? And then how are you allowed to use this content we've created together? Because that might change the price. Like one example I saw in an influencer group I was in was that this woman had done a feed post on Instagram. And then she found out later that the brand was using it as an Instagram ad. And so they were sort of getting more value out of it. And she felt like maybe she should have gotten more. Then she found out they were using it in a lot of printed marketing materials. So once she realized the scale of their use was far beyond just this one post that was supposed to go in her feed, she felt like she probably underpriced herself. So I'm telling athletes, ask those questions and make sure that if that if you're going to own this content I'm creating with you, what are you allowed to do with it in the future in terms of editing it? Because I, I always give this example that was on a season of The Bachelor. <laughs> and I'm a big Bachelor, Bachelorette fan. And there was a young woman that was on there. And photos came out of her while she was on the show where it looked like she had supported a clothing brand that had uh, a lot of Confederate flag paraphernalia in their photo shoots. And her contention was that when they shot the photos... None of that was there, that it was all added in post-editing. And so I've been telling student athletes, you've got to know what rights the brand has to reuse this content and to edit it and whether they have to get your approval on those edits because they could add anything to the photo or video or audio or whatever you're doing with them. And it's student athletes who are risking their eligibility. You know, it's not you, the podcaster or you, the brand who's ultimately going to get in trouble here. It's the student athlete who could lose the rest of their student athlete career over one mistake in this arena. So 
I think it's important for them to ask those kind of questions. But as a brand, I think if you want to get involved in this and you care about the student athlete that you're wanting to work with, I think as a brand, you should be educated about all these things. And if they're not asking you the right questions, maybe provide them a little education and say, you know, you didn't mention edits, but we should figure out what that looks like. You know, kind of coach them along the way, because quite frankly, a lot of them aren't getting any coaching anywhere and they don't know the things to ask. You mentioned the hunting piece earlier, the hunter that was sponsored, which is incredible. I believe it's important for a small business to take into account that maybe there is a particular athlete that you are a fan of or that is a high performer, but you have to probably ask yourself as a small business, does this even make sense for them? Like, do they use our product? Do they care about our product? If we are selling print paper and this person has never talked about it, it probably doesn't make sense to approach them with a deal. Uh, which is also something for the athletes to consider because anything that comes in is going to seem enticing in the beginning, but it should probably align with some of your values. The last thing I want to talk about was what you've seen. And I know you've been trying to keep up ridiculously. And, 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 I, and I don't envy you for all the constant changes that are coming in the questions. But at also, you're at the beginning of it, which is great because you are just going to really, really be the expert. But what are some of the biggest biggest deals you've seen? I know a couple of that happened right after midnight on the first, but what have you seen uh, and what, what kind of trends are you seeing? So the absolute biggest has been Masterpiece Sun, which, you know, seems a little unfair to compare to all the other student athletes. Obviously, <laughs> no offense to him, but he didn't, his son did not get this based on his own merit alone. He's an incoming freshman, so he hasn't even played a game oh yet Lord. at the college level. Uh, he got a $2 million deal from a tech company. So wow. let's put that one aside because Sure, sure. Where is he going to school? In the New Orleans, uh, I'm assuming? Tennessee or? State, I believe. Tennessee I could be State? wrong. Okay. I, I feel like oh, it's wow. the state of Tennessee, and I think it's Tennessee State. But Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, which, you know, a celebrity father, totally different category. Um, on the first day, I think the biggest deal we saw was from College Hunks Hauling Junk out of South Florida. I think that was a $20,000 deal off the top of my head. And we've actually seen them sign several more student athletes now. Uh, they really seem to be going all in on this, but they've always had that sort of brand alignment with like, hunky college students who are, you know, serving as representatives of their company or actually serving as the labor for their company. So it was a really natural fit, I think, for them. The Miami deal that I mentioned earlier, where we had an MMA gym make an offer to the entire team. We are starting to see a couple of team-wide deals. I think I saw another one at UCF for maybe women's basketball. I know it wasn't football or men's basketball. Um, There are so many now that they all blend in my head, but we started to see a few team-wide deals now you know, what has been most surprising to me is the number of student athletes who have a platform already. So they're the starting quarterback or they've got a big following and they are using their platform to sort of pull other people from their team with them. So I just saw one yesterday where a quarterback made a deal with a local restaurant to feed his offensive line every single week, all season. That's amazing. That's such a cool way to like give back to your teammates. Uh, I also heard that when FSU's quarterback did an appearance on, I think it was the very first day of NIL, that he could have taken that deal by himself. They made the offer to just him. And he said, actually, I want it, that same money. I want to take it and split it between me and two other guys <laughs> from my team. And he brought two other guys with him. And then that same quarterback, the FSU's quarterback, you know, you'll love this because you're an FSU grad, but uh, that FSU quarterback and then the Miami quarterback, 
they teamed up together as they knew this was going to happen. And they've been working for, I think, the last year on a platform called Dreamfield, where they created the platform on which other student athletes can sign up and make brand deals. Uh, there was another student athlete at the NAIA level. They passed their NIL legislation back in October. So they had a head start on the NCAA athletes. And a female volleyball player started a company called Playbooked. Uh, same sort of thing, like a platform for other student athletes to come on and make these brand deals. And so like, what I've loved seeing is how many student athletes are using their smarts or their leverage, their platform to help other student athletes. Because all we heard leading up to this was how it was going to create all this division in locker rooms and you know, guys were going to be jealous of other guys. And I'm sure there will still be some of that. It is human nature to be jealous and to compare yourself to the deals other people are getting. But I am blown away by how many student athletes have gone out of their way to make sure things happen for other student athletes. It's the coolest thing about this whole thing. Yeah, that kind of unity is incredible and probably really indicates that, you know, people were really ready for this moment. You know, it had been such a long time where you could do nothing and it could completely tarnish or destroy your potential career or get your Heisman taken away or whatever it is. And then there you go. So I love that. One thing that you said that I, I cannot help but think about, when you mentioned the Miami deal, and I forgot to ask this earlier, if this individual is providing monthly whatever... 500 bucks a month per student athlete. 500 bucks a month to these scholarship athletes. And Miami goes in this year and they do horribly. Uh, <laughs> let's just say they punt it. And then this guy's talking to whoever and say, look, like next year doesn't look good. And to $500 to a student, that, that, is, that could be sizable. You know, I mean, it could be really sizable versus nothing. They could opt in for an entire year. So it's $500 a month for an entire year. So they already sort of know they have this guaranteed money if they opt in. Exactly. So what happens then to the psyche of an athlete or a coach who knows that these people's lives are slightly improved by this financial vehicle? And now all of a sudden the thread is getting, you know, we're going to pull because you guys are just blowing it this year. And, and the point I'm getting at is the distraction of this all. I talked to several coaches before this all went live and they were worried about that sort of competition in the locker room thing I talked about a minute ago and then worried about the distraction too. Uh, you know, a lot of the school rules we've seen come out say that you can't be creating content on campus, like you know, in the locker room or in the football stadium. You know, they don't want them using that uh, sort of as part of their platform or part of their uh, appeal to brands because they don't want that distraction. And we've seen coaches in the past ban teams from using Twitter during the season or whatever. And that hasn't gone over really well. Like that, that's gotten a lot of media attention and a lot of hate <laughs> uh, for keeping them off of social media. But, you know, I, I do think that it they're going to have to learn how to manage their time better. I mean, I talked to a former college hockey player who was like, if this had been around when I was there, I would have wanted to do it because I would have wanted to make money. He was like, but I have no idea how this would have fit in my schedule. I had no free time. So something's going to have to give, but what is that thing? Is it sleep? Is it attending class? Is it playing video games, you know, in your dorm room? Is it, you know, extra practice time or extra time in the weight room? You know, that's going to differ for every student athlete. Uh, but I, I do think there's some coaches who are a little cranky about it, at least privately, if not publicly, who when a guy's underperforming, but they see him in his Instagram stories hawking something like every other day, they're probably going to sit down and have a conversation with them about it. 
<laughs> it's it's so funny you say that. Uh, I was listening, I don't know, something on ESPN, and and there's a basketball player talking about like from beginning to end of the day, like. I, I hardly have time to even eat, to recover, to think. And then I have to go to see my tutor on the weekends and do this and do that and make sure I'm meeting all my educational requirements. So, you know, just the excitement of having something new, which is a potential, you know, monetary thing or, or, or vehicle is is it's going to be hard to avert your eyes if you're in a position to cash in on that, so to speak. So um, the last thing I, I wanted to say was, uh, where can people find out about you and, and you know, your books and where would you like them to contact? Yeah, so I do most of my work in this college sports space on businessatcollegesports.com. That's got the podcast. It has tons of trackers for NIL. There's a state tracker. There's a marketplace kind of database. There's an institutional policy tracker. So if you're a brand looking to work with student athletes, hopefully you can find a lot of what you need on my site under those trackers. And then I've got kind of the latest big news happening, uh, either written stories or podcast episodes there. And I'm on every major uh, social media platform at Sports Biz Miss in my SS. Yes. <laughs> well, <laughs> thank you so much. I, I, I hope... Um, if you're listening, I hope you not only understand uh, the perspective of the athlete, but also the business. Uh, we have an expert here who shared some fantastic information. So make sure you follow her and we will see you next time. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Uh, I really hope you enjoyed Christy. Please check her out. Please, if you're listening and you are a small business owner or a medium-sized business owner and you are a complete supporter of your collegiate team, volleyball team, football team, soccer team, whatever it may be, follow her material, follow her, because it may mean you having the opportunity to support at a very high level for that player or those players that are part of your life in one way or another. Last thing I'll say is, look, she's a podcaster. She's a blogger. Uh, we are on parallel paths, different industries, so to speak, but... One thing that she and I rely on uh, as podcasters is ratings and reviews. So if you got anything from this, if you learned something new, then if you learned something new, leave a review. Damn, I got to start using that. But yeah, if you got anything from this, if you got any value, if you got any benefit, if someone else can benefit, share it. But if you got anything, please take the time to rate and review it. And then lastly, uh, as a personal branding consultant, Christy and I both have resources. Uh, if you have no idea where to get started, DM us uh, or go to richcardonamedia.com uh, backslash personal branding and you will find a guide for 29 freaking dollars that will probably change everything for you if you have no idea where to begin. And if you have no idea where to begin and if you're just completely baffled at how to even cultivate the content you're going to need for your personal brand. I solve all that for you with the guide. Check it out. See you next week.